the Westlap Pirates and welcome to the show. Here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. You're on our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. And I'm John Lacombe. Uh, Scuzz is off this week. Uh, he actually called in from Oktoberfest in Munich. Uh, we'll get to him in just a second, but... Uh, ton to cover tonight and you know it's, it's crazy you know northwestern did not play this weekend uh you've got you had some amazing action on the field you've got some wild and crazy stuff happening off the field um can, and can, we gotta talk wisconsin <laughs> and, yeah I, I can you even imagine how crazy of a pod this would have been had northwestern played last weekend it would have been like a oh. two-hour pod oh my goodness yeah i know i mean like we're, we we're planning as we ought to go deep on the Wisconsin Badgers ahead of this game. Um, but yeah, of course, hasn't exactly been a quiet, a quiet week in the world of sports uh, for, for reasons that have almost nothing to do with the product on the field, but <laughs> we'll, we'll get to all of that. Um, I, I do say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sure you're all excited to hear Scuzz ring in from uh, the Deutschland but uh, it stinks because where we're recording right now, it's probably what, like, I don't know, 6 a.m. there or something. And I just feel like we could be catching a bleary eyed, hungover scuzz at like 6 a.m. German time. And we like that's how it should be. We should just be getting a fantastic call in right now from just a barely functioning human. But you guys are <laughs> you guys are going to have to do with a composed scuzz calling in instead. Well, uh, let's go ahead and uh, head to the Westlaw Pirates voicemail line, which uh as before we do that, do want to mention you guys can call in at 847-231-CATS, 847-231-2287. Uh, give us a shout, leave a message, and uh, we'll play it on the air and answer your questions. But uh, with that, let's go ahead and go to Scuzz. Gentlemen, this is Scuzz calling you from Munich. Guten Tag. Uh, what an exciting week of college football last weekend. And... Uh, Huge game on tap against Wisconsin. I think the Cats are going to have their hands full. Very, very excited to see what happens. I'll obviously be watching on delay. I don't think I'm going to catch it from here. But wanted to uh, call with just a couple quick thoughts. First of all, um, I know you guys are going to talk about it tonight, but uh, massive kudos for Coach Fitz on uh, his comments in relation to the uh, NFL National Anthem conversation. Um, I, frankly, I thought he went beyond – what I expected him to say in, in support of the players and those protests and calling out the, uh, the void of leadership that has been demonstrated. And uh, I think it's, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some players kneel at Penn State. I would be fully in support of that. Um, frankly, I, I think the whole team should kneel uh, at the Penn State game. But outside of that, um, really, you know, a great statement and uh, got to gotta like uh, Kyle Caro's involvement. Obviously, he's, you know, been a leader for the team and a spokesman on this front as well. So um I know you guys are going to talk more about that. Other thoughts, I couldn't have been more wrong about everything last weekend in college football. Uh, we wrote up that big article talking about Oklahoma State uh, being a potential national title contender and then they go out and lose to TCU. Uh, you've got, you know, Cal ended up getting wiped out by USC and uh, the whole Iowa-Penn State thing, my goodness. So obviously exciting times. You guys are going to have a fun conversation tonight. Said we missed the podcast, but Go Cats. Uh, huge game this weekend. Enjoy it. And uh, look forward to being back on the pod in two weeks. Cheers, guys. Uh, thanks, Scuzz, for, for calling in. And, yeah, like he, like he mentioned, there's – I mean, even, even in just that voicemail, he, he just echoes the fact that we have a lot to cover tonight. 
Uh, so without uh, dancing around it much longer, um, want to get your thoughts on uh, what Fitz said, uh, you know, what Northwestern is going to be doing this weekend uh, at Wisconsin, um, just sort of in solidarity with all of these uh, protests going on at the NFL level. Uh, you know, Fitz came out, made a really, really strong statement in, in support of the players, like well, like what Scuzz was saying. But, uh, you know, in Wisconsin, they play the national anthem before the players come out onto the field. So there are, is not going to be an opportunity for anyone to, to take a knee, if, you know, it, if that's the way that they decide to, to go. But what Northwestern is going to be doing is everyone's going to be coming out of the locker room uh, arm in arm, uh, echoing kind of what every NFL team did uh, last weekend. I think one of the most interesting things specifically from a Northwestern perspective is, it, and it's really important when you look at just how on point Fitz's messaging on the whole thing has been. And again, all credit to him, all credit for the coaching staff, all credit to Kyle Caro, who just made a great statement on it in the press conference and uh, on Monday, I believe. And if you haven't read it, you should go look because he just did a great job. Um, but the one thing I think the Northwestern specific point to be made here, though, is and I think it's really important one when it comes to, you know, the the pitch perfect things that Fitz is saying and stuff is kind of unlike just about any other coaching staff in the country when it comes to college football. This is not the first rodeo for the Northwestern coaches or Jim Phillips. I think the union thing really laid a lot of ground here. You had a, a potentially divisive locker room issue and kind of like the players, the coaches and Phillips were really kind of feeling their way at the beginning of how to deal with the whole situation and, and get through it and, and deal with it inside the locker room and publicly. And it was a bumpy road, I think, especially at first, but they found their way. And I think that experience is invaluable right now because in the case of the the union situation you know you had a I think a group in the locker room who felt one way and a group in the locker room who felt another way but I think ultimately there was kind of a coalescing there and and a kind of a workaround there and I think that's given the coaching staff you know knowledge of exactly how to handle it say here guys the number one thing is that we come together as a team you know individual thoughts can be individual thoughts but the important thing is that we all start from a place of unity and we'll go from there and that's what we're going to project to everybody and I think Fitz is doing that and I think Fitz is also taking the right stance on the basis of you know the needs and feelings of his players relative um, to our commander-in-chief and and in that in that regard, he is definitely not alone, and that's certainly a good thing. And, you know, I, I hate to kind of look ahead to, to next weekend against Penn State, um, just because I really hope that this all kind of quiets down. I mean, so much is being made of this, and I think that people are losing track of why, you know, the why Colin Kaepernick took a knee in the first place. Um, you know, what what's been going on right now is so completely far away from what Kaepernick was protesting in the first place that I, we've all lost sight of that. Um, so I, I'm hoping that everything can kind of quiet down. We can just go back. I mean, it's, it's foolish for me to say, I, let's, I, let's go I, back. I was going to say, you're so, so you're looking for a, you're looking for a, a commander in chief who will just pour some nice soothing bomb on this situation, huh? <laughs> <sighs> just some nice aloe rub some nice cool aloe right into that wound sure <sighs> okay well <laughs> in any case let's uh you know but what where, where i was going with that is it'll be interesting to see what happens against penn state 
uh, in a situation where the teams are on the field for the national anthem. Northwestern has always done the national anthem after uh, the, the teams have taken the field. Um, I'll be interested to see what, if anything, happens at that point. But before we get too far ain't off no, the ain't off the no track, one in that locker room thinking about the Penn State National Anthem right no, now. No, not at all. We've got a huge game this weekend against Wisconsin. Uh, we really need to, to dive into. Um, Wisconsin, who has looked pretty gosh darn solid so far. I mean, they beat the tar out of Utah State. They beat up on Florida Atlantic. They went to BYU and just ran the table with that 40 to six and you know they're sitting on they're coming off their bye week as well so um you know this is a team that i you know they haven't given up more than two touchdowns uh at all and that was to, to the fighting kiffins and florida atlantic um you know so their, their defense is solid but and they put up points you know 59 against utah state 31 against florida atlantic 40 against byu you know, Alex Hornibrook has looked to uh, have taken the next level. Uh, you know, really come come into his own, I, I think. And then, uh, and Jonathan Taylor just steps right in, uh, fills the shoes of the next Wisconsin running back because that that's how that's how they work. Um, th- th- it's going to be a tough one. I mean, I, there's really no way to to shake around that. You know, we wondered before the season. You know, Wisconsin is definitely the class of the Big Ten West. To this point, we have seen absolutely nothing that would uh, take us away of that notion. Um, and, you know, if we're going to go ahead and, you know, if we want to take our claim to the, the Big Ten West, this is a must win for the Cats. It's going to be a tough one. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a bummer that we're playing Wisconsin this early in the season just because it's such a huge game. On the other hand, if we win this game, it completely changes the entire narrative going forward. I mean, that's the team that very likely we, you know, we would be competing in for the top of the conference. And again, based on things that have happened so far, that seems like quite an ambitious goal at this point. On the other hand, if we beat Wisconsin, we'll all be feeling that way. And we'll all be feeling like we have a huge piece, which would be a tiebreaker in any potential situation matched up with the Badgers. It's so huge. On the other hand, I mean, if you look at ESPN... I think they give Wisconsin a 91% win win expectancy at this point. 15 and um, a half point favorite. Yeah, I mean they're they're a 15 and a half point favorite. They're really good. There's no denying that. Um I think the easiest way to explain it though because I think it's easy to get lost in all this is Wisconsin's just as of right now looks pretty good. Looks good. BB plus everywhere on the field. Um and in some places they're better than that. Um, they're basically a team that doesn't have a weakness. Horningbrook has looked very competent, and that's a big part of the of the equation for them going forward. There is one big thing, though. And again, it's it's hard this early in the season to understand exactly how much it means. I mean, coming out of just three weeks of non-conference football, it's it's just hard to say. Wisconsin has played definitely an easier schedule than we have. And that seems really hard to say considering that the two teams we've beat, Nevada and Bowling Green, look absolutely god-awful. But it's true. If, we were play- if we'd played Wisconsin's schedule, we'd be undefeated right now, too. 
And for anyone who's saying, yeah, but Wisconsin played BYU, BYU sucks this year. Yeah, they're not good. They're awful. They've scored three, I think they've played three um, FBS opponents, and they've scored about 20 points combined in those three games. And against Wisconsin and LSU, they were absolutely obliterated. They scored six points combined in those two games. And before you say, yeah, but it's LSU, well, Mississippi State, who didn't look very good last weekend, smoked LSU. So BYU is just not good. If we had played Utah State, FAU, and BYU on the road, we'd be 3-0 and right now, too. It's hard to know what the scores are, but you can bet we would have put up a lot of points on BYU and Utah State. Don't. It's, it's also very important that even in this young season, everyone should look at the fact that Duke is 4-0 and with three Power 5 wins. Now, yes, one of those was Baylor, but two were North Carolina and us. And those are two teams that at the end of the day, you know, are probably bowl teams. Duke is good. And of the six teams that combined Wisconsin Northwestern have played, there's one good team on there. And we played them and we lost. So it's kind of hard to know too much. So when you look at all the great numbers, especially offensively, that Wisconsin is putting up, you have to understand they were playing really bad defenses in all three of those games. And that does bear mentioning. You know, it, it's so hard to to say, you know, at this point in the season, you know, no one's really played a tough, like, you're not in conference play yet. And, and that's really where the rubber meets the road. Um, yeah, it turns out that Duke is much better than I think any of us gave them credit for being uh, going into the season. And, uh, but, you know, you start looking at like the transitive property of, you know, oh, you know, BYU got spanked by LSU, who got beat by Mississippi State, who looked ordinary last week. You know that. You know it's that. That's just a, a easy way to go down a rabbit hole that you have no idea who's better than who. Um, obviously, Duke, has, as it turns out, is is a good team. Um, but you know, you look at the ease that Wisconsin has beaten the teams on their schedule, and you know, yeah, we beat. Nevada and Bowling Green with a fair amount of ease, but we looked bad against Duke. Like we looked bad. Yes, Duke outplayed us. Duke won that game more than we lost it. But I mean, Thorson had a bad game. Yes, he rebounded the next week against Bowling Green. But you know that that is sort of in the back of your mind. Like if if Thorson has a bad game, we're in trouble. Because Thorson has a bad game, then they start keying on a Jackson, and then, you know, all hell breaks loose. It is. I mean, again, there's not a lot of good news here. Wisconsin's a good football team. They're a good football team who's played a really easy schedule so far. But I think there are a couple things. One, obviously, they're just going to try to run it right at you. Um, and they've had a lot of success doing that so far, again, against teams that aren't particularly good on defense but they've gotten it done Horningbrook has looked I'd say very you know very pinpoint so far which is a big part of their offense because they're going to try to go play action um and they're you know they're going to be predicated on the run and they're going to try to do a lot of play action with Horningbrook very very pinpoint he missed one pass against BYU right I mean so he's he's dialed in right now and when you factor in the fact that we've got a banged up secondary although thank goodness it's had some time to heal 
Um, you got to think Trey Williams and Marcus McShepard alternating at that number two cornerback spot are going to have a lot on their plate. Um, with that said, we've had success stopping Wisconsin's run game at various points, including recently, um, and had success last year. And if Jazz Peavy doesn't break off a couple of those runs late in the game, you know, we were right in that game last year at home. So I think we're going to miss Anthony Walker. The linebackers, I think, are going to have a lot of pressure. And again, I think one thing that's important to remember is we've played a lot of 4-2-5 up to this point, and we are not going to be playing much 4-2-5 in this game. Expect to see three linebackers on the field almost all the time. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, you really have to against uh, Wisconsin. I mean, they're one of the top, I think they're rushing for like 275 yards a game. Right. And on the other hand, I mean, on one hand, that's good because we've it it kind of works works in our favor a little bit more from a depth perspective we've got a few more linebackers to play with linebacker is not as banged up um as some other positions are um it gets a guy like mcgee you know you don't have to worry about anything at safety you know he's always going to be available well you, know, you you hope he's always going to be available just right i know get, no, well, get his helmet up yeah i know let's just talk to the officials before the game but the uh but I think, obviously, the extra time for Trey Williams and Marcus McShepard to recover are, are a big part of it. But it's – but, you know, like you were saying, Sammy, comparing this game to any of the games we've played on the schedule up until now, we haven't played a power running team that's just going to try to run it down your throat because they're really good at it. Um, and it's it's just, again, we've played different teams that have basically um, forced us into four two five and tried to take advantage of our secondary all game. And this is just going to be a different kind of thing. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to get play action and then Jazz Peavy tries to run over the top of Trey Williams. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see Montre Hardage flip-flopping on Peavy all game long. But um, it's just a it's a different animal here. I mean, it's going to be on the linebackers big time. Patty Fisher, this is, I mean, baptism by fire because it's, it's going to be on him big time in this game uh, to come up and make a lot of hits. Um... On the flip side, though, I think if you look at at everything you've seen from Wisconsin defensively so far, it's about exactly what I would expect. Again, the expectation was so high, but I haven't seen anything that's like made me go, "Oh wow, look out for those Badgers." If you look statistically, it's just it's shaping up to be a classic Wisconsin season. Um, they don't pressure the passer very well, but they cover really well, which to anyone who's watched the Duke game should be a cause for concern. Um, and the linebackers, you know, they've had injuries at linebacker that's affected their depth. Their linebackers are solid, if unexceptional. Um, they control the they control the ball. They bend, but they don't break. Um, they've given up some yards, but not a lot of points. They don't get a lot of sacks. They don't get a lot of TFLs, but they don't give up big runs. Do not expect us to have success running the ball against this team. Um, and I think the question is going to be, I mean, it's it's tough. I think it's going to turn into kind of a harder version of, of the Duke defense. And a lot of that is going to fall on Clayton Thorson's shoulders. A uh, couple of notes on the two deep for this week. Uh, Jace James uh, makes his debut as the second team wide receiver. Um, not a whole lot of uh, other changes beyond that. Um you know, Hardish Williams, your corners, Iguibike and Kiro at safety, Hall, Fisher, and Walsh, uh, Gaz, Lancaster, Thompson, and uh, Sam Dup on the D-line, uh, your starters. So, you know, everything is pretty much how we've how we've seen. Um, 
Jace James, obviously, you know, coming in in replacement of Jalen Brown. Uh, we haven't heard any details, but uh, the fact that he has been dropped off the two deep lets you, you know, kind of tips tips a hand a little bit that you know his injury is a, probably a little worse than we thought. Um, and Django Glacken obviously left uh, the Bowling Green game as well uh, late in that game. We haven't had any updates on him either. Uh, we, I, I guess they released the, uh, the injury report on like Thursday or Friday now. So we'll, we'll find that out a little bit closer, but you know how Fitz is with, uh, any details yeah. on the injury report. Right. I think, you know, right now we just want to hope that it's good news on Marcus McShepard. Uh, we need him in the rotation and, um, you know, it's a bummer though. I mean, just having two banged up corners, I think only because, if, if I'm Wisconsin, you know, I'm trying to test those guys over the top and, uh, you know, see what I can get going with the run game. Again, it's it's tough to say only because we've seen this happen before where the defense had some problems and then, you know, play Wisconsin and, and do a really good job. And if you think about the guys who are going to be pressured in that Wisconsin game up the middle, it's pretty much the same guys, you know, the, the interior of that line. And you can fold Gaziano into this too. Played a lot in that Wisconsin game last year, so these guys have dealt with that Wisconsin offensive line, and they know how to handle it. And they did a good job last year. So do not just assume that Wisconsin is going to have the same kind of success that that Jonathan Taylor is, who's you know averaging 150 yards a game, eight yards a carry, is just going to come out and have the same kind of success against Northwestern. We're going to miss Anthony Walker for sure, but don't forget. We have uh, two safeties who, for the first time all season, are finally going to be given some free reign to come up into the box and provide some real support here. Um, and Caro and Iguabike are ready. So, again, I, I'm not trying to paint a rosy picture here. Wisconsin does their things, and they do them very well. I think, though, that all the points that Wisconsin's piled up up here to four it's not going to be the same kind of success against Northwestern's defense. I think we are better equipped to deal with them, um, even given the injury situation, just because we're fresher at a lot of those positions. And a lot of our defensive line is kind of more built to to withstand this kind of attack. Predict the narrative. Um, If Northwestern wins this game, what is the storyline? If we win the game, I think it's Horningbrook regresses a little bit I think honestly it's been really easy pickings for him so far and the running game again it's easy to find open guys when your back's going for eight yards a clip on every carry and the defense is just selling out and not having success I mean that just opens so many things up for you so that's part of it I mean if if he suddenly finds it slow going and you know a little regression there and he throws a pick or something you know the, the game could easily flip on something like that we I mean we need to keep Wisconsin's D low scoring I think if we win it's the same kind of situation we had going into the fourth quarter of last game only we kind of get it together and again this is in Camp Randall uh, where we've not had a lot of success. Um, so I think it's it's certainly going to be a different atmosphere, but I think low scoring game, maybe a turnover or two, and we do just enough offensively to win. Again, nothing we've seen thus far should lead you to believe we're going to have success running the ball in this game. Uh, I just Wisconsin, we had no success running the ball last year, 
um, the running game, although I think was was really has really improved over the course of the weeks and was really starting to get it together against Bowling Green. Uh, Wisconsin's a totally different animal, and they're built to stop the run. So don't expect success there. And then it, it falls on Thorson, who, again, when you're drooling all over Jonathan Taylor's gaudy stats, just remember that against the two crappy teams we've played, Clayton Thorson threw for 700 yards. So it's like we can play that game too. Thorson has chucked the ball all over the yard and had big numbers in against the two weaker defenses that we played. Now, again, Wisconsin is not that, and he's going to have really tough going. But lost in that hole, the receivers couldn't get open against Duke kind of thing is the fact that Thorson just was firing blanks against Duke. He just didn't have it. And if you look over the last, what, 12 games or so, those instances have been really few and far between. If he brings his A game to Camp Randall... I think that would that would get us just enough points to be in a low scoring game. So I want to talk about uh this past weekend on the field. I mean there were some uh really amazing games, uh obviously headlined by that the Penn State Iowa game, which was I mean Saquon Barkley, oh my goodness. I that is not the running back I want to talk about in this game. Okay. Akram Wadley, take a knee. Oh, God, yeah. Fall down at the five-yard line, Akram Wadley, and walk out with the win. I just, my first reaction, the minute Iowa was suddenly marching down the field and they were two yards outside of field goal range, according to the little green line, right, um, with like, what, close to two minutes left. It was and like my a, immediate... at least a minute 50. I mean, that's... Yeah, at, and my reaction was just like, for the love of, slow down, Iowa. The last thing you want is Penn State's offense getting back on the field. Three points wins it for you. And the next play, Wadley went, what, 25 yards or 30 yards for the touchdown. Yeah. And I was just like, if he just falls down inside the five-yard line, worst case scenario, there are about 45 seconds left and Penn State has no timeouts. That's your worst case scenario. And instead, well, the, they wor- put, the worst case scenario is you is miss, you miss a chip goal. shot. But I mean, you know, it's you'd be missing an extra point at home. And I, I just was like, I just you're gonna let Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley come back on the field with a minute fifty and two timeouts, and it went exactly how I expected it was gonna go. What was what it? Classic blitz error, right? You know, back yep. back in the days of NFL blitz. You do not leave any time on the clock, you know. And, you know, I, I've heard many people say, like, no, you score and, you know, teams that go and start draining the clock and playing super conservative see Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl 51. Um, they, you know, what happens to Atlanta happens to Atlanta. Um, but in in this situation, you got to – you think you got I mean, to think a little bit players. bigger. I mean, you, your eyes get big. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to score a touchdown, and we're going to take the lead. Know the situation. Understand that you're like, if you're really looking for the win, your touchdown doesn't matter. I mean, that, that's not going to do anything for you. You're going to get talked about more for going out of bounds, or not even. Well, I guess you could go out of bounds or not, but you know, going down at the one yard line. Right. You'll well, get I mean, more recognition for doing that than you will scoring a touchdown and giving the ball back to Penn State. Well, let's say he goes down at the one-yard line and just takes takes a knee there. 
worst case scenario, if the coaches decide they want to try to get the touchdown, you've got three downs to try to throw it in from the one yard line. And worst case scenario, Penn State has to burn one of their two timeouts. Again, I'm like you said, totally understandable that he went in. But if he would have gone down inside the five, everyone would have been like, that was the ballerest move ever. Everyone have been like, what a play to understand the situation or that like the coaches came to him and were like, hey, just so you know, you know, but so I think part of it was and again, I, I think the the tenor of the game was weird for me in that it was a low scoring game. But what was not weird for me was Penn State surviving by the skin of their teeth, because I think they're going to be doing a lot now that they've gotten into conference season. Um, I, I've. I have not been their shellings of the teams they've played thus far have not convinced me that this is that this is a a juggernaut team. Um, I think there's a lot of lot of football still to be played. That being said, Saquon Barkley, 28 oh. carries, 211 yards, making yeah, people mean, look absolute. He made defenders look stupid. And and hey, thanks to the running back suddenly being en vogue again in the NFL, I think Saquon may actually get paid on draft day. I think. Uh, Thanks to some running backs going in the top 10 and having some success early on, Fournette, um, Dalvin Cook, etc. I think uh, Zeke, Saquon is going to probably get drafted very, very highly and with good reason. Oh, I mean, he's he's the real deal all the way, but Iowa, man, you had it. You had the win and just gave it away. So watching that game, what did you kind of take away thinking about we're going to be playing both these teams here in the next few weeks? Well, for Iowa, honestly, it's about what I expected. I mean, their offense is kind of bleh, which is kind of what we thought it was going to be. Um, their defense is has great linebackers and not a heck of a lot else, but that's what Penn State was throwing at them. They managed to contain McSorley. I give them credit for that. And uh, Josie Jewell um, kind of was matched up on Barkley all day and, and probably got the worst of it by the measure, but hey. I mean, that being said, they were in it. <laughs> Jewel looked pretty solid for most of the oh, game. I mean, he's yeah, and I mean, he's probably the best linebacker in the conference, so it's not too surprising. But again, that's that's what I was expecting. I mean, Iowa is a mediocre team who played a good game against a team that I still don't know what's going on with Penn State. Um, with Penn State, again, that's that's the same thing. That offense is still capable of blowing anyone out of the water. Again, I give them all the credit for containing McSorley and kind of keeping him under wraps. Um, you can't expect to contain Barkley. He's just going to go off on everybody. Um, but I think McSorley's the real X factor. And if you can keep him under wraps, um, you know, and you've got a great run defense, you can potentially have something going. But I think it's it's probably folly to assume that you're going to be able to do that. But Penn State's defense has, you know, looked pretty good against Iowa. Has looked pretty good thus far. So I don't know. I they're they're just an inconsistent team. They were an inconsistent team last year with a couple of star players who played really exciting games and won. So I don't know. I, I still, I just, Penn state to me is a no presser situation. That's the other side of the conference. They're expected to be awesome. We're expected to not have a chance and I could easily see us coming out there and giving them a game. Um, Wisconsin's just a completely different animal. And, and like everyone in the Northwestern locker room, I'm not even looking ahead to Penn state right now. (laughs) Um, also last Saturday, Michigan-Purdue, uh, a game that was interesting at halftime, and then Purdue decided they didn't want any first downs in the second half. Yeah, so again, I really think it's starting to look like Michigan's the best team in in probably in the Big Ten. 
and I guess that's still going to be borne out, but I just feel like they're playing as good football as anyone right now. Uh, Purdue, offensively, is still a little... Uh, quite, I mean, I, John, I John O'Korn came in and looked way better than Wilton Spade had looked all season. I know, but, like, they only need to play football on one side of the ball the way that defense <laughs> plays. I'm just like, there's no unit in the conference remotely as good as Michigan's defense right now. It's just freakishly good. And, again, they're breaking in, like, almost new players all the way across the board, and it's just unbelievable. On the flip side, again, you can't really knock Purdue based on how they play against that defense, and they were half-decent in the first half before they got steamrolled in the second half. I still kind of feel like Purdue is a pretty good team, so... I'm, uh, it's not, it certainly has done nothing to alleviate, uh, I think our collective nervousness about Purdue seeing them later in the season. Um, other games, uh, last Saturday, what, uh, what's jumped out at you? I mean, Oklahoma had, you know, a ton of trouble with Baylor, uh, before winning that at the end. But, uh, you know, I think the big one, you know, we were so high on Oklahoma state. I mean, I, I had them in our little uh, picks challenge uh scuzz was really talking them up last week and uh at home losing to uh to tcu you know all of a sudden the big 12 is you know a little more interesting than i think uh we thought it might be i guess so again it's one of those things where like the big 12 is hoping that oklahoma state and start keeps winning a bunch of games because like if this conference starts to cannibalize itself the nation is just going to forget that the big 12 even exists again uh and it will do no favors to oklahoma even if they keep winning um but you never know tcu might have a good football team and we just don't realize it right now but yeah oklahoma state come on everyone wanted like everyone was praying for undefeated bedlam um, and then running it, or, or you know, the undefeated right early bedlam, and then running it back in the championship game. Yeah. But, uh, so holding on for dear life. Um, I uh, I kind of felt for you. Uh, Colorado sort of looked like they were hanging with the Tatankas for a little bit, and then uh, the Stephen Montez interception train just let them down big time, and Washington kind of flexed their muscles down the stretch. Yeah, I, I was um, out. I was out in Colorado this weekend, and. Uh somewhat debated going to that uh, Colorado Washington game. I'm glad I didn't. It was cold, it was rainy, and CU decided CU looked pretty bad uh at least from the second quarter on. I actually, you know, shut it down and you know at halftime I I called it. It was it was late. I was tired. Um and I, you know, a lot of football and you know Colorado didn't have any designs of of you know, it didn't look like they were going to do any, be able to do anything to Washington that uh, would have led them back in. Washington's defense looked really, really good, and then Miles Gaskin going for uh, two hundred yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. If I'm Washington, I'm probably feeling a little bit disrespected because USC, who hasn't exactly looked great, no. is still ranked above them, and Washington's kicked the tar out of four teams. Uh, and were awesome last year and are still only ranked seventh in the country. So I think Washington's playing with a little chip on their shoulder. That That's a really good team. Um, it's I think it's better for Washington to be playing with a chip on their shoulder. I, th- I think it, it'll serve them better. I mean, USC is number five just because they are USC. And, you know, everyone was, you know, giving Sam Darnold the Heisman Trophy before the season even started. And, you know, he, he's had a an okay season, but he looked real average against Texas, except in the last two minutes of each half. And, you know, it's not like they blew the doors off of Cal. I mean, they, they were struggling until late. Right. Yeah, no, I know. Um, it's certainly there. 
there are certainly a couple teams that that are kind of getting by just by reputation right now. One team that I'm happy to see like eliminated from that list are the Florida Gators. Um, and I think it's funny, Georgia, all of a sudden they pull off that smoking of Mississippi state. Yeah. And I think we talked last year, we were like, just last week we were like, okay, like if Mississippi state's the second best team in the conference, who's the third best? Well, clearly Georgia's the second best team in the conference. Yeah. No, and no, I think no there's, and, and unlike, I mean, even Alabama, I mean, Georgia, they get to play that whole SEC East. Oh, my Lord, what a train wreck. Just by fielding a competent team, they should be in pretty good shape. And also, I mean, but I mean, like looming above it all, Alabama, who played a conference game and won 59 nothing. Uh I mean, I if I'm Alabama, I'm like, is anyone even going to show up in the SEC to challenge us this year? Is, it, is everyone just like checked out of the conference? 13 teams just not going to bother to show up? Um I mean, it just seems like it's more gift wrapped for them this year than ever before. Uh, any any other games stood out to you? I mean, NC State uh, goes to Florida State and beats them. Uh, you know, Florida State, a very different team without DeAndre Francois. Hey, now we just need Duke to continue, you know, their dominance over the Tobacco Road. You beat North Carolina, now just beat NC State. You can make us look super, super good. Keep it going, Blue Devils. Yeah, at um, this point, right? And, uh, you know, shout out to uh, Nevada quarterback David Cornwell, uh, who said that, you know, Reno was the best place for him ever. Uh, he has now left Nevada and is going to be transferring again. So, uh, shouts to you, David Cornwell. Uh, and Nevada, who, again, are 31-21. Let's all just turn the page on that. They lost 45-7 to Washington State. <laughs> They're 0-4. Uh, yeah, and their presumptive, their one at one time presumptive quarterback who somehow can't break into this quarterback rotation. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I think <laughs> must, I think the, uh, the hype is probably a little bit overblown on him, I think a little bit, but, but, but John yeah. Reno is a beautiful place and spoke to him so deeply. Hey, I, I can't wait to see which junior college speaks to him so deeply now. <laughs> Any other game you watched last weekend, or are we ready to move on to? I just I just want to give a shout out to Army, who I talked up so much last week about how their amazing start, their chance to go go five and zero over the next five games, immediately lost to Tulane. Thanks, Army. <laughs> Thanks for making me look like a genius. Well, like Scuzz was saying in in his voicemail earlier, everything that we thought was going to happen went completely tits up last weekend. So, um. This weekend, we are now fully into conference play just across the board. Uh, we've got you know some real fun matchups just kind of looking through the Big Ten. Um, you know, Penn State, Indiana should be should be interesting because Indiana's you know definitely shown a little proclivity for some offense. Uh, Iowa, Michigan State, that you know that's a you know I think we'll see a little bit more. Is Michigan State you know, decent or did Notre Dame just show us all that? No, they're actually still really bad. I, so that Indiana Penn state game, watch out for Indiana. Indiana seems to be a pretty good football team this year. Uh, they beat a Virginia team that looked pretty darn good this past weekend. And they, you know, piled up points. Yeah. Again, it, it was against Georgia Southern, but you know, they were hanging around in that Ohio state game for a long time too. And Penn State is just 
something about that team is not quite right. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of white knuckle moments for them this season. And don't be surprised if Indiana plays a part of that. Uh, Maryland, Minnesota. You got Maryland now on their third quarterback after the first two tore their ACLs. Um, if I'm if I'm the number three quarterback at, at Maryland and value my knees, I might uh, maybe you know beg off like oh oh sorry coach I, I got to study for for midterms. Um, it's so rough for Maryland because they I mean they were clicking to start they, the season they looked so good early and and uh, now and it's done they're they're just that's going to flip everything. I mean it's great for us when we play them. But I don't think they're going to score any kind of points against Minnesota. They got stoned by UCF, and then they've got Ohio State, us, the Badgers coming up. It's just, I think, suddenly things just are going to pivot on a dime for them. Uh, Friday night, uh, Nebraska at Illinois. Um, Who boy. Yeah. Hold your nose. What? And, and that's going to be nationally televised on FS1. Look. Hey, I mean, again, every game's a must win for Mike Riley now. You yeah. lose at Illinois, you're gone. You're fired the next day. Well, so. and, and Nebraska just canned their AD, so... Uh, right, who who fires him is the question, but someone. Yeah, and, you know, <clears throat> if Scott Frost, UCF, has, uh, you know, continues to have a good season, yep. you know, the rumors, the Frost back to Nebraska rumors will be very loud. Absolutely. Or even that, louder than they are already now. I mean, it, Oh, I mean, it, it will be him. Uh, their Nebraska fans, I think, are so mad right now at, at a non-Nebraska man being in charge and and uh, kind of where that's taken them. And I think they, they're really going to be looking for, for one of their own back into the folds. But but again, um, <clears throat> it's that's going to be really bad football. You've got Illinois, who is just horrific on offense. And Nebraska, if you haven't watched specific tape of Nebraska and only heard about how, you know, how much trouble they're having scoring points— Watch the tape and then thank God because as bad as it is to have cornerback issues in terms of depth and injuries, if it's one of your tackles, uh, Nebraska's starting right tackle was hurt. Their backup right tackle came in and had never played and then was like a quarter as good as he was supposed to be. And everyone was just stunned. And Northern Illinois' defensive end, they Northern Illinois literally just brought a, a linebacker down to the line and was just like, just run around this guy. And that's what he did all game. And just lit up there. And it was just their poor. And then that guy hurt his arm. So now against uh, Rutgers, they started a right tackle who was leapt over on the depth chart by the guy who was horrifically bad, causing them to lose to Northern Illinois. And then it was just like watching, I don't even know, like watching a blind bear trying to kill a rabbit or something against Rutgers. <laughs> just Rutgers being so bad and Nebraska being so decimated on the offensive line that they just couldn't do anything and then like limped out there with a win. Well, remember, Illinois doesn't suck on defense. That's where they're kind of good. So expect this to be a really low-scoring, god-awful-to-watch football game. And I can't even tell you who's going to win. Well, I, I plan on watching not a single minute of that because the other two games on Friday night are vastly more interesting. You got Miami at Duke, and then USC at Wazoo. When's the last time a game uh, out on the Palouse was this important? Well, here's what you know. I, I think oh, Apple I, every, Apple Cup, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, last but year. every Washington State fan is pissed that this is a Friday night because if it was on Saturday. You don't think game day would have gone? Right. Yeah, that is kind of annoying. You're right. I mean, I 
it kind of stinks. I mean, when's the last time game day was out on the Palouse? They've, they they've never the been. Apple Cup? They've yeah. never been. And, and that's the whole reason why a Washington State flag has been at every game day for the past, like, 170, you know, Saturdays. That is a real bummer. On the other hand, if Washington State beats USC, they're going to get game day in short order. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, but I mean, you know, tune in for the quarterback bonanza because whoa, Nelly, are people going to be slinging it around that stadium? I would imagine those tickets are at a premium too, because that stadium does not, uh, does not seat a lot. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of USC fans there. Uh, according to vivid seats, there are 731 tickets available starting at $44. There you go. I mean, for, I'm sure that's a record. <laughs> Washington, Washington state is not exactly, I mean, it's a destination for that part of the country. It's a hole for the rest of the country. So, also too, uh, our Duke Blue Devils hosting number fourteen Miami. Come on, Duke, keep it going. Well, remember what happened the last time Miami played at Duke, right? Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, you, you you have to feel for Duke <laughs> for that one. They oh, deserve yeah. a little bit of karmic retribution. Um, let's see, Georgia Tennessee. Uh, that that should be fun for for all you Bulldog fans out there. Uh, Mississippi State Auburn. I, I guess we'll see if uh, you know Mississippi State is able to rebound from their shellacking last weekend to Georgia Auburn. I I no. I don't know like, why Auburn's ranked number thirteen. I mean, I'm I'm already I've already begun my SEC West tune out. All right, <laughs> just like I'm just like it's Alabama. Wake me up if anybody sniffs that team. Otherwise, I'm just like I just see a bunch of mediocre teams fighting for scraps. Uh, game day this week is in Blacksburg. As uh, Clemson goes to take on Vatek, that'll be fun. Oh yeah! Oh, the the whole like uh, ABC Fallon Herb, Herb Street nighttime Enter at Virginia Sandman. Tech with oh, Clemson there. I mean, oh, it's glorious. That that'll be great, and oh. you know, it's late enough in in the day for you know all you Northwestern fans. You can watch the Cats game. You know, take care of some uh, family business in the afternoon, and then maybe get some clearance. Uh, to to take your evening and enjoy that Clemson Vatek game. Absolutely. Um at the same time, by the way, uh Washington at Oregon State, I think I could see something totally unprecedented happening that just made everybody happy, which is immediately after the Washington Oregon State game, Oregon State offers Mike Riley the head coaching job. And Mike Riley just immediately accepts and immediately just goes over to Oregon State and coaches the rest of the season with <laughs> Oregon State. Who's who's upset in that situation? <laughs> Nobody, I don't think. Except, I mean, yeah, like you don't think Oregon State fans at this point want Mike Riley to just come back and coach the rest of the season? That's exactly what they want. Nebraska would give him up in a second. They'd be like, "Yeah, here it is. Here's your plane ticket. Just go out, take over." And because. Uh, what Washington is going to beat the tar out of Oregon State. Fifty nothing, whatever. It's it's gonna be a massacre. Um, any other games really jump out at you? I'm just sort of scanning through the list here and you know nothing else is really jumping off the page. I well, I give credit to CBS Sports Network or whoever was on for putting together that Northern Illinois San Diego State game. Yeah. That's a pretty fortuitous you know that was some serious clairvoyance because right now i mean if northern illinois wouldn't have that stupid goose egg against boston well not goose egg but the narrow loss against boston college they'd be ranked right now and san diego state is ranked 
and potentially looking like your group of five team if they can keep rolling. And Northern Illinois has got to win at Nebraska. So, um, you know, one of those teams is officially going to be on the way to a really special season. Yeah, so uh, that is week five in in college football. Uh, Lest we ignore the uh, huge news of the last 24 hours or so uh, from the college basketball realm, um, I mean, just when you're talking about, you know, the NCAA having their investigative uh, team shoved off to the side because the FBI has jumped in to, you know, investigate uh, coaches, pay, you know, paying for recruits, you know, just this is a mess. And, you know, Louisville just at the center of it yet again. Uh, cost Rick Pitino his job, cost Tom Jurich his job. Um, and there were no arrests made at Louisville. The, you know, the arrests came at, at Arizona. Uh, where else? Uh, well, Miami was another team implicated, yeah. but you have Arizona, Auburn, Auburn, um, and, and somewhere else too. I think, you know, obviously this is something that you're going to hear a lot more names out of this. I mean, it sounds like they've got a lot of these guys cold and I think, you know, you're going to see, I mean, the NCAA <clears throat> as always happens in these situations is going to be playing catch up. And then you're going to have some stupid NCAA investigation where they're like, we have to figure out what happened. And it's going to take a year before we can finally sort this it's gonna out. It's going to take like, two to three years. Uh, I'm just, well, that's just because, well, I mean, just because the NCAA, but I mean, it's like Louisville knew the score immediately, even if it's going to take the NCAA a while to finally hand this all down. I'm just, first of all, I think when it comes to Louisville, you have to look at a lot of perspective. Uh, Tom Jurich, first of all, has st- – like it's hard to not draw like some Baylor comparisons here because you have a guy who's – he's presided over an unprecedented rise in success across multiple sports and just the dirtiest dealings. And, I mean, you're talking about the guy who's employed Bobby Petrino twice um, – and then everything that's gone on at Rick Patino with Rick Patino, and at the same time won a ton of games, and it's just like the classic case of just like selling your soul to get better at sports. Um, but in the case of of Louisville basketball, it's like oh my gosh, just what if you're the NCAA? What's the ceiling on what you can do? I mean, you have a program where the ink isn't even dry. On the sanctions for you hiring prostitutes for prospective recruits. And while that's happening, you have coaches in, on the basketball team being like, well, yeah, but we got to pay this guy $100,000. Like, what's going on within the program that as the NCAA is handling down all, handing all this stuff down, there's still a climate where someone feels okay giving six figures of dirty money to a recruit. It just blows my mind. Yeah, it, it is really shocking. And Well, I, I guess maybe I shouldn't be shocked. I mean, you know, the, just the culture at Louisville. I mean, they... I know, I'm sure you were shocked because that was, that was a rogue actor when it was, when it was the... When it was the escorts, when it was the prostitutes for the players, he was a rogue coach gone bad. Sammy, rogue coach, no one else knew. He was a lone wolf, a bad apple. I am shocked, sir. Shocked to find gambling <laughs> in this establishment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, 
much much more to be to come for you know for sure on this i mean it sounds like you know adidas is somehow implicated in all this as well uh, it's funny because I had just read an article, I think like the week before or something. I think it might have even been Darren Ravel wrote it about how for the first time Adidas had passed Jordan brand into second place on like shoe, yeah. shoe sales. And now I'm thinking about that and I'm like, well, I guess we know how they did it. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly all these players, all these basketball players are wearing Adidas. It's so shocking. Just an absolute mess, and uh, you know it'll be it'll be fascinating to see just how you know the the FBI coming in. You know, will that light a fire under the NCAA? I doubt it. You know, I yeah, this I think really just goes to show how completely impotent the NCAA is as a governing institution. I mean, well, it's it's just funny too, right? Because a governing institution, it's like. How come the NCAA wasn't organizing these kind of things? How come it's not the NCAA breaking a student like a show like this? Like, yep, we just created a fake guy, and then like he got in the room with all these guys and was privy to all these dirty dealings. And it's like, really, NCAA? Like, pro- I mean, but of course, it's like the thing behind this is because the NCAA has no impetus to do this. Why would they want to stop the money train? Um, you know, that's it's different priorities. But I'm glad the FBI is at least getting involved. Uh, so yeah, much, much more to come on all that. I, I think we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, you got a, a lot of exciting stuff to come this weekend. You know, Northwestern back in action. Can't wait for that. Uh, b- before we go, let's go ahead and continue our search and our quest for the Swoley Grail. <laughs> Well, for my final thought, quest for the Swoley Grail, um, I want to shout out someone who, frankly, for how awesome it was what he did during this game, I'm super annoyed he's not getting credit, although we all know why. And that's our own Sherrick McManus, who had himself a day against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He pretty much won the game by himself. He recovered a huge fumble and, of course, blocked a field goal at the end of the first half in a play that, again, since the Bears barely made overtime against the Steelers um, and uh, won the game in overtime was basically the the difference in the game that McManix blocked that punt. It was a six-point swing. The reason he's not getting nearly enough credit, of course, is because that should have been a 10-point swing because when McManus blocked that field goal, it was recovered by Marcus Cooper, who... In the brain fart of all brain farts, just decided to stop at like the two yard line and not walk into the end zone. It was, it was, I think Leon Lett might be off the hook because this was, I mean, at least Leon Lett was kind of like walking into the end zone. Cooper just seemed to like stop and like he was going to bow or something. I don't know what was going on there, but it led to an absolutely ridiculous play um, that the officials spent like a half hour sorting out. And subsequently, um, the Bears were given an untimed down at the one. They probably false started and then had to kick a field goal. What? It was so ridiculous. But oh, I completely it wa- missed that. Oh, it was just an absolute train wreck. It was so so like after a guy came up behind Cooper and batted the ball out of his hands, there was a scrum in the end zone. And the field goal kicker who'd been trailing the play, the guy whose kick was blocked, batted the ball intentionally out of the back of the end zone, which is a flag, which is why the Bears got an untimed down, 
which they were going to try to run it in, but then they had a false start, so they settled for the field goal. Still, thanks to McManus, that was a six-point swing in a game that ultimately went to overtime. It was the difference in the game. Huge play. Go and watch it. Do not watch the idiocy at the end of the play. Watch the beginning because McManus teaches a clinic on how to block a punt. He had clearly practiced exactly what he was going to do time and time again. He knew that the outside man on the Steelers' wing was going to basically try to do a hard arm bar to try to prevent him from going around the outside. And McManus, he executes a move that it just only works with perfect timing. Without slowing down at all, he basically just ducked his entire top of his body forward at the exact moment he needed to. Um, and it just it's just gorgeous. It's the kind of play that a, a Pro Bowl special teamer like Sherrick McManus makes. Um, he clearly had practiced it forever. He executed it perfectly, and it was the difference in the game. So big ups to you, Cher. That's fantastic. Uh, for my final thought, uh, I, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, starting now, now starting quarterback for Houston Texans. Uh, he gave his first-ever game check to uh, – employees of the of the Texans uh, three ladies who work in the cafeteria who lost everything in the in the flooding of Hurricane Harvey um, and Watson you know gave his check to the to these three ladies uh, just real awesome um, you know shows that there are good people in the NFL it's not all you know greed and nasty and SOBs and whatnot I mean this is you know there are people out in the NFL who really, you know, care about the communities. And you know, Watson's just one, uh, just one example. I mean, every He's just every one team. example on the Texans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, JJ Watt talk, you know, talk about you know raising over what twenty million was it? I mean, amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's great. It's guys just doing the the very best stuff. And again, I think it's. It's important with all the, you know, the quote-unquote controversy and stuff exactly to remember these guys are really doing the right thing. Yeah, it, it, it was just really cool to see that tonight. And, uh, you know, so shout-out to Deshaun and, you know, everyone else who's out there, you know, doing good in the community. So uh, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. You can head to our website, westlawpirates.com. Uh, leave comments and questions. You can call our voicemail line at 847 847- 231-2287 that's 847-231-CATS email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com and you can always follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Pirates. tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern Athletics and look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter especially the forum for John LeCoe I'm Sam Walter thanks so much for listening we'll see you next time